The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we talk with musician Victor Krauss about getting the call to be in Lyle Lovett's large band, performing with his sister Allison Krauss and Pilsner Beer in the Czech Republic. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey, welcome to the Winemakers, guys. This is Brian Casey with uh, Sam Katuri, John Myers, and Bart Hansen. We are with Kathy Huye today. Back on the show. You know, Kathy, I missed your show the first time you were on. I think you guys did it in Sam's office at the at the Tasting House. And I remember being there, I think, right at the beginning and then had to go uh, for some reason and, and um, go do something else. But th- those of you that don't know Kathy, she is the founder and CEO of Enolytics. She's a writer for Forbes as well as Inc.com. She's a contributor to A Balanced Glass, a uh, community dedicated to wellness. She's the author of Hungry for Wine, Seeing the World Through the Lens of a Wine Glass. Oh, and by the way, graduated from Harvard twice. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Because once was definitely not enough. Three three times is too much. You got to do it twice. I mean, mean, that that tops Tim Wallace with, you know, Brown and Harvard, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> That's pretty good for our little podcast. <laughs> and Kathy, we kind of wanted to have you on the show and get your take on what's going on in the world right now. Well, I'm so I'm so glad to be here. And uh, we're, we're doing this, obviously, uh, during the corona time. So this is over Zoom. And what's really fun is that I could see all of you as this is happening. Um, and we're not all, you know, at, in Sam's office, and that's cool. Although I'm, <laughs> although I'm missing curry. Like, where's curry? You know, there's no curry, and there's no uh, duck confit tacos, which is what we were serving. Oh, that's right. So which, good. You know, that was, a, that was a vinyl Sunday, wasn't it, Sam? It was. It was right before a vinyl Sunday. It was so good. So good. Yes. Yes. And your dad was there, and all sorts of, you know, things were happening. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I think everybody can agree that real life is more fun than virtual life. But uh, at least least we got this, you know, this has been working, it's been working for the podcasts. Uh, uh, Whoops. We lost Sam for a second there. I think what what he was going to say is it's working for the virtual tastings as well which uh, Sam and Bart have been doing. And uh, hey, Sam, if you can hear us, you're sounding like uh, R2-D2. Um, so you might want to stick those ear, those earbuds back in. There you are. There we go. Well, first okay. of all, you mentioned the doing the virtual tastings. This is the one virtual tasting that I've seen, and now I've seen a bunch, that Sam, Sam was out in the field. I mean, this is what made that really interesting for everybody. He was there talking about the vines that grew the grapes that made the wine. And it was, it, it, it had a sense of place. And that's just like the wines. That made it good. 
Yeah, and virtual tastings. I mean, it's it, it's a thing right now, right? So, uh, so in my column for Forbes, I've been I've been writing about it and um, interviewed some people who have been doing virtual tastings for for a long time, um, including uh, Tina Murray from Wine Studio and Sandra Hess from the DTC uh, workshop, and also another writer named Kathleen Wilcox who has just sort of really sort of jumped in and sort of dove in uh, to the to the virtual tastings. And, um, and what Sam did is exactly what, you know, what makes it work, which is, um, which is offering something that's not just people sitting around like with a glass, just talking like what, you know, what's interesting about this? Why, why is this different than anything else? What, what can you, what can you show me? What can you teach me? Yeah. Um, that I don't, you know, that's, that's different, that, that I can't just get from opening a bottle or reading something, you know, it's the thing about virtual tasting is that it, it's, it's with a person and a person in a place. And so I love that that's how Sam approached that. And that's sort of, you know, some key indicators of a successful virtual tasting. You know, Kathy, we, um, we got some good feedback about it also because people felt that having tasting wines from two different wineries also that were complementary but yet different added to their tasting experience because they didn't feel again same thing as you were saying they didn't feel as they were just um just getting information you know there was a comparison and a contrast right but there's also sort of you know comparison contrast but also collaboration like right then and there right, right. it wasn't right. sort of you know not that we had this rule about the three c's or whatever but that sets it up really nicely doesn't it yeah. um the idea of you know working together with with somebody and and it's just um it's kind of more bang for your buck as well right you're not just right. getting like a winemaker you're getting you're getting two and it's you know it's all the better yeah it, it's very genuine that way also just Agreed. very genuine. Agreed. Kathy, you should be very happy right about now. You've worked in the digital market, uh, especially for Forbes, et cetera, um, writing about the place of digital everything in wine. Boy, it owns wine right now, doesn't it, the digital market? Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways right now. Um, although, you know, it, it, it still has to come back. It still has to come back to the people. It still has to come back to, to the, the people sort of behind the digital and the people creating the digital and the people generating the digital trails, so to speak. Um, all of that, it's, there's, no, there's no getting around the human, the human capacity and there's no getting around the human element of what makes digital good and what makes it worthwhile and also what makes it not good and kind of sucky. What makes it not good? <laughs> what makes it not good in your mind? Um, generic versus genuine for, you know, for starters. Um, if I could just, if I could almost slap sort of another label onto yet another press release and not even really be able to tell the difference between who's talking, you know, not good. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to know that. Like, I don't, I don't need to know that. Um, those are sort of some of the, the top of the list things, but if there's no, there's no humanity to it, I mean, I'm kind of, kind of not interested. Well, probably right about that. Uh, I think a lot of people are not interested. I've been hearing some kind of bad reviews, quite frankly. About virtual tastings? Or? Virtual tastings and, and a lot of complaints now. I mean, Sam and Bart have just moved ahead. So very, so is everybody else actually, you know, going direct to consumer. Um, 
it's it's just changed overnight. It's amazing, but it's such an opportunity. It is, and and the people, the wineries who have been already in this space, obviously have a have a head start. Um, but there's there's plenty of of room and plenty of opportunity for to sort of get in the game, and that's um, something that like all businesses and and like like Sam and Bart no no doubt have pivoted um, as a result of sort of this Corona thing. Um, our business, Enolytics, has pivoted as well in the sense that we started offering something called Enolytics Lite, L-I-T-E, which is a sort of, we called it an emergency kit for wineries during this time of, um, of DTC and sort of the urgency to, to help wineries, especially small and mid-sized wineries who are all of a sudden in a much more vulnerable position than they were before with no actual foot traffic coming in. So what can we do data-wise? What can we do from sort of the analysis-wise um, to, to help those wineries? And these are sort of the tools that, that we've kind of put into use for Analytics Lite. What are those tools? Yeah, so it's, um, so it's we're helping wineries um, in a way segment their lists by three categories. One is by age, one is by gender, and one is by geography. And within each of those three categories, you could kind of slice and dice. So if you wanted, you could find out um, the 30-year-old males within the state of Texas who have bought your wines in the past year. And then once you have that information, you can then reach out with a really specific targeted humanized um, communication to exactly those people. Humanized communication, interesting term. If, if you know that you're talking to, you know, mathematically likely a, a man versus a woman and they're 30 versus 60 and they're in Texas versus Washington state, I mean, those are all points of differentiation and there are all ways to sort of relate and to, to get to know somebody at a more human level, I think. Oh, absolutely. You don't want to talk to them like, you know, there's an, they're an old woman from Boston. I mean, it's just not happening that way. So, you know, it's very interesting. Um, which is the most important out of those three, do you think? Age, gender, or geography? You know, I think it depends on the winery. We're working with a, with a woman-owned winery in Washington State, for example, who assumed that her 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 mailing list was composed of, you know, 90% women who wanted to support her uh, as, a, as a woman on winery, but also as a woman winemaker. But when we sort of did the math, quote unquote, it ended up being significantly less than that. And it was actually quite a lot more men who were buying from her than, than women. And so that, so for her, that was a really important thing to know. For Absolutely. another, yeah, for another winery, um, it was actually geography. And it was more about, um, of, course, of course, they knew who their top market was because it was really close to geographically where, where they're located. But the takeaway for them was that they weren't honing in on a second market. Like it was just too all over the place. And so, they, it, so the very quick analysis that we were able to do because of the tools that we have showed them where they need to be focusing next. So which of those three are the most important? It kind of depends on, on the winery. Yeah, absolutely. You can look at all of them. 
mix well, and match. Kathy, for the smaller wineries that you're now helping, is that something you guys are taking on on a, like a pro bono thing? Or is that, is that, are they reaching out to you and looking for tools? Yeah, it's, it's, um, when somebody, when somebody reaches out, uh, the, the three questions that they ask the most, Brian, is that, or the three anxieties they have is that there's not, they're too small. They don't have enough data. No. They, uh, the data they're worried about privacy and protecting the data, and they're worried that it'll cost too much. So we have you know, responses to each of those. And the, the cost question, um, right now at this time in the wine industry, our answer is a little bit like, try me. It's a little bit like we, are, we do not wanna gouge anybody right now. We, you know, we're a business too, we can't do it for free. But especially if you're a small winery and you're, you're struggling right now, we, we want to help. And for us who, who have the tools in our hands, we, we can, we're in a position to help. So certainly there's a, there's a bit of a sliding scale going on. The bigger wineries who, who can, you know, they are, they're kind of taking more of the, more of the, the, the costs on their shoulders, but actually the smaller wineries are benefiting from it as well. Kathy, let's, talk to Brian and Sam. Do you guys know by age, gender, and geography your sales? Uh, well, for, for Bart and Sam, so um, I don't, yeah, you guys would have to, Sam, are you able to hear us right now? Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, oh. I'm sort of back on. I have uh, whatever, whatever, you know, clearly my office internet isn't as good as my home internet, so good lesson, um, especially in a virtual tasting world. Um, <laughs> yeah, why don't you walk over to Sojourn? For us, you know. I, <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. I'm sure no, Craig's, I'm, Craig's got I'm those sure superpowers. I'm sure he'll charge me by the minute. Um, <laughs> so many folks. <laughs> yeah. Well, supposedly, uh, we are supposed to get a five, we are supposed to get a five. Uh, oh, well. At least I can, what about oh, Bart? We have a 5G tower. Um, <laughs> for sure, Bart. 25 to... Take yeah, over, Sam. Okay. Uh, you know, for, for me, um, I, you know, I, I don't have that big of, of a list. And I would say I'm still at the level of that um, I know everybody that's on my list. Um, I can kind of look at it and figure out where they came from. Um, and and age wise, I mean, my my age group, I, I don't have a bunch of young millennials um, try, uh, subscribing to my you know mailing list simply because I don't have a tasting room, so therefore that's not how they would have found me. Um, I would say, I, you know, they're probably between uh, mid to late thirties up to seventies, um, and that's a wide variation, I know. But th I think the thing they're all um, have in common that I know is that they're all interested in um, handmade, unique, um, genuine wines. And, um, and that's why they're following. It's, you know. Yeah. Out. Yeah. And, and in a way, I mean, that, that's awesome, Bart, because you, you can know your, your people, right? You, you know your people, they know you. Right. And it's interesting because um, analytics sort of launched out, launched with, this, with the idea of big data. But analytics light in the past month or five weeks um, is actually more about small data, right? 
it's more about the, the 2000 person mailing list or the 5000 person mailing list. But that's, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of what we're working on. We're working on right now through analytics light with these, with these three variables. Yeah. Yeah. So we Brian, had, uh, yeah, go ahead, John. I was going to say we had Paul Mabry on from, um, 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 Ametri on a couple of weeks ago and, and he's all about, uh, big data and he, you know, he's been the one preaching for the last few years and, and now everything that he was talking about, you know, instead of the spray and pray models and having uh, <laughs> clean, clean data. Um, and, and it's kind of the time for people working in those taste rooms to, to look at their, their mailing list and sort of clean them up a little bit. Um, and I know Sam, I can speak for Sam as far as his demographics, just because I also work in the, um, in his tasting room. And that's the real difference is Sam actually gets to see a lot of the people that come and go and, and are on the list, but it's his, his reaches from early twenties up to seventies. Um, you know, he's I'm got, back. Hey, so you're I'm back you're, and I'm, I'm Pablo Blanco now. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> Are you up in the bird's nest now? Uh, oh no! No, we don't. We, we uh, the the annex is gone. We're now uh, downstairs across the street. We're uh, we we call it uh, club club runt R O N T. Uh, the Grateful Dead famously had a office space they called Club Front on Front Street in San Rafael, and the door that we used to get in here. Um, you, on the door it's a glass door and it says please use front door uh but the f has been scratched off so we call it <laughs> so it's r-o-n-t club run there you go so no. if you guys can grow your market share here you can grow your sales right. who do you go about attacking targeting communicating to you brian uh, or bart and kathy how do they go about capitalizing on this situation now well i, I mean i think I, I think right now what i'm seeing is that we're, we're providing the service that people are missing out on and so going back to the virtual tasting is that and 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 not even the virtual tasting just people that are buying a little extra wine for because they know they're not coming out here and and they're and they're wanting to have that connection to being out here in Sonoma and those are even from people that live here in California um, and, and so it's just making those connections and then again having those connections being genuine and having them walk away going um, God what a great experience I can't wait to go back or can't wait to have another bottle of their wine and and that's not unlike the tasting room you know this is the closest I've ever had to having a tasting room personally so oh, that's been, interesting. This yeah. has been real positive for me. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm just going to touch on it so I don't forget about it. But Kathy, maybe when you get a chance, to me, it seems like the smaller wineries that are probably hurting the most are the ones that have a big stake in distributors and brokers, which is completely stopped. Um, and maybe they, even if they had a tasting room, haven't put that much focus into it. It's always just been something in the background. Yeah, and unfortunately, the sort of the the drop off in sales um, in in on premise is just devastating. 
it's devastating in general, but it's devastating for those wineries who have built their brand, sort of, you know, the, the traditional way the brand is built, the brand is built in the restaurant, right? So the people who followed that, that thinking just are, are it's even more painful for them. But I think something to sort of, you know, keep in mind here around uh, to, to your question, John, um, how, do you, how do you market now? I think there's, there's a question of engagement um, to the people who are already your customers uh, because you, you know who they are and you're reaching them. But then there's also something really valuable, which is around re-engagement. And it's often to the same customers, right? So you're engaging with them now, sort of in this first wave after sort of the global pandemic kind of took hold. And now we're sort of, we're getting into, and that was sort of the shelter in place kind of almost panic buying, right? <clears throat> and now there's a second wave coming through where it's another sort of SIP, which is uh, sort of settling into place. And how do you engage, you know, that, and that's kind of another wave, and that's sort of the re-engagement. And we're actually, um, Analytics is partnering with Wine Direct and Ship Compliant on a webinar on exactly this topic um, next week on, on Thursday, April 30th, on engaging DTC um, in sort of the time of the, uh, the post-pandemic planning. And this is exactly one of the, one of the topics. One of the interesting things, sorry, Sam, my, can you hear me? Am I, is it working? No. Can you hear me now? You no. got it? Okay. Bart says yes. Brian, John says no. Brian's just staring at a bottle of rosé. Okay. Um, <laughs> so is, you know, in the tasting house, it's always been. Yeah, Sam. People have already no, nothing. Yeah, can we can me? we can yes. hear bits and pieces of you, and so it's. Uh... Sam, maybe you can use the chat box. Yeah, let me just. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna try and call in on my phone. No, uh, just call in. No video. See yeah, how that works. So, Kathy, right. uh, what are the most interesting things you have seen people doing on this reengagement? As and I'll use it as an example, the winery Gerard. Mm -hmm. sent a, a, a list of pretty good customers, not their best, three bottles of wine just to keep in touch, keep them thinking about the brand, et cetera. Uh, and it arrived 100% un... Uh, nobody was aware that it was coming. Unsolicited, yeah. Yeah. So, so making something and surprising, like your, your, especially your, your, your best customers, your most loyal customers, that's fabulous but also treating them especially well. And the, the logic behind this is that because the, the tourist traffic and the sort of tasting room traffic isn't happening, you want to take a special care of the people you already have sort of in your, in your wheelhouse who are already fans, right? So if there was ever a time to kind of open up sort of something that's unique specific to them, let's say, that for the most part you you've sold out of, of your of your wine and you have let's say a hundred cases left like you're telling you're announcing that you've sold out but you're offering those 100 cases to your absolute like people who have been there from the start i feel like that is a that's a smart kind of re-engagement because a they are already engaged with you they've already been kind of long time people 
but here you are re-engaging through by offering them something really special that maybe they, that they weren't expecting is not sort of on the schedule but that's also kind of responsive to what's actually going on in the world right now i think that that's that's a smart move you're right uh just sam even putting out a vinyl sunday playlist and saying okay we're not doing vinyl sundays but here guys here's the music that we put out i think that was a great idea too that was that's a cool idea i haven't i hadn't seen that sam but that's a cool idea like and and it's a, it's also and you I'll, you already, I'll send you a link <laughs> please do you you're already sort of tuned into this but kind of the the virtual wine tasting there's an there's a soundtrack to it too right there's a there's audio you're not just you know it's it's engaging another sense it's engaging another sense and the interesting thing about about these tastings that are happening now is that if we kind of go through the senses as we taste wine, we, we look at it with our eyes, we smell it with our nose, we taste it with our palate, and we're talking about texture on the palate as well. But the sound, our ears, is something that doesn't often get engaged. But here you are, Sam, like saying, listen to this, uh, you know, this soundtrack, and I don't know, maybe it was the soundtrack that was playing in the winery, you know, during fermentation, or maybe it was a soundtrack or who, that your that your crew listens to. I mean, I have no idea, but whatever it is that again is genuine to that wine, I love the idea of it coming through our ears because it's the one sense that normally gets left out of a wine tasting, right? Well, not just a wine tasting. I can tell you that, in you know, I've worked for thirty five years in restaurants. That it's, it, I'm always amazed at how it's a it's an afterthought as far as the music that's playing in mm -hmm. the background when you're when you're eating at a uh, at a restaurant and I wish I could say we <laughs> we were on top of it where I'm working right now but if I hear another Madonna lounge version of like a virgin <laughs> I'm gonna kill myself at work <laughs> so I, I appreciate those days when I get to work at at the tasting house and you know have a choice of a thousand different records to put on and everyone has their own different style or things that they like best but um but but you're right. It becomes an integral part. It it becomes a connective piece almost, um, in, in a, a lot of times. And and sometimes you don't remember the places you went that had horrible music, but you really remember the places that you went where you where they had good music. It was just it puts it puts everything. It heightens everything and puts it over the top. Yeah, and wouldn't it be a cool idea? And I don't know if y'all could do this, but wouldn't it be a cool idea to? And, and maybe you've already done this, Sam. Forgive me for not knowing, but wouldn't it be fun to invite your 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 loyal people or the people who have bought from you recently to send in their songs and you make a playlist mm. from from their best songs that they've sent in it's a little bit like um sort of a parallel to wine and food pairings right so people will send in the recipes right. that they like to go with the wines but what if you sent in like a song that you like to go with a wine and then you're the, you're the curator, you're the chef, Sam, right? And you kind of, you pick them all. And then you not only have sort of a playlist that you created or your crew created, but that your reader, that your, your readers, your listeners and your, your fans created as well. There was a, there was a winemaker um, named Ann Vodder in Napa who used to be the winemaker at Oakville Ranch. I think the last I heard from her, she had, um, 
quit her jobs and was taking her family on a boat to live on a sailing boat around the world for a year. But she, with, with every tasting note from Oakville Ranch, she was very musical, uh, classically trained musician. Um, she would put songs, musical, and often it was, it was classical, um, that she would pair with the wines for each, for each vintage. That was part of, part of the tasting notes. Um, so, you know, I don't think that it's, that's, that's, um, there's a lot there in the way that, uh, you know, wine and sound go together and, and, you know, sound, we, we often, um, describe wine with sound descriptors, um, tonality and, and vibrance is a, is a sound word. Um, these things that, you know, cause we, we, you know, look for beyond taste senses to, to describe wine. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm right there. Let's, you know, I, I think yeah. everybody's going to send in a lot of music from one band, but, um, <laughs> I, I like that idea. <laughs> I, but I, I love it, Sandy. And you know why? Cause it's genuine to you. Like it's genuine right. to you who, who does a final Sunday, right? I was reading, uh, or I heard recently, um, I put this question out there on social media. I said, has anybody heard with all sort of the coronavirus kind of quarantine sourdough bread making, has anybody ever kind of tried to pair wine with bread? And the responses have been fantastic. The responses <laughs> to this, there's actually a winery um, that's also a bakery. And the whole fermentation thing just makes sense, right? So it's actually a really exciting opportunity uh, to explore these unorthodox or kind of, you know, things that have been sort of sidebars for a while to kind of bring them in because that, that's who you are. That's your narrative. That's what's genuine about you. One of the interesting things that um, I've found in the, the virtual tasting world uh, you know, with, with our tasting room, with the tasting house, it was always crafted. I mean, it looks and feels like a house. And it was always crafted to have that level of, you know, being as comfortable in there as you are sitting in your own living room, sitting at your own dining room table, sitting in your own kitchen table. And then now all of a sudden, we're talking to people who are actually sitting at their own dining room table. They're actually sitting in their living room. You know, you're seeing the art on their walls instead of the art on your walls. Um, yeah. But for me, that it, it really reinforces um, how important it is to to be comfortable in the environment where you're tasting wine. How much better does wine taste when you're on your own couch and you know you're not worried about your Uber ride to the next place or you know um, what reservation you have for dinner? It's just about the people that you're connecting with on these on these platforms the wines that you're drinking, you know, maybe whether or not your kid did their Zoom homework or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think that there's there's a lot of value. And, and um, Jason, Jason Haas at, at uh, Tablas Creek just talked about this in his blog post the other day, that it, there's a lot of value. And this is, you know, Mabry also, that there's a lot of value in going to them instead of, you know, waiting for them to come to us. Uh, and the value is beyond just the convenience of it. But, you you feel good in your own house. You feel good to be able to connect and get outside of it also right now. But, um, you know, you're sitting in the most comfortable chair that you have to do these things. You know, Dan Bixby on our virtual tasting with uh, on his couch with his feet up on his coffee table, probably didn't have shoes on, you know, wearing sweatshorts. That's, there's, there's, there's a lot of value there. Enjoying himself. 
immensely. Totally. Hey, totally. Kathy. Uh, sorry, um, Sam. Um, Kathy, go back to the music thing. I, I want to give a little sh shout out to Jeff Bunchu and see if you've heard of this. You know, he has another label. They call it Echo Echo. And he's partnering with bands. So far, he's done something with Lord Huron and real estate. And he's actually gets the band members to sit down and make up these blends um, that then they're going out and selling to their fans. Um, and in the early part of this, when he did it, we were doing having people doing blind tastings with wines and music. So not knowing what the wines were and playing different types of music with the different with the same songs and seeing how people thought um, it changed it. And I love that. So, I love that. There's a yes. Sorry, Brad. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say. I just wanted to see if you had, you know, any experiences or anything hearing things like that. Well, you know, one of the things that, and this was actually a, an article that I wrote a little while back. Um, it was a connection around uh, musicians and gin. As a matter of fact, it wasn't. It wasn't wine. It was around gin. And uh, there's a brand called Martin Miller's, um, and they their CEO was hiring salespeople was killing them. Like it was just was so expensive. It took so much time. It was killing them from a, from just a bottom line perspective. So he had what I thought was a genius idea, which was to hire part-time musicians who were in the, the bars and the nightclubs that he wanted Martin Miller's gin to be in. So he hired these musicians who had gigs at the bars and sort of, they were kind of on the sidelines being a gin salesperson. Right. So they would get the sale in the bar and then they would go and do the do the gig at the bar. And it was it was genius. It was so smart. And they sold so much. gin, it was unbelievable. And it also added sort of the cool <laughs> factor as well, because they were they were musicians to start with. Right. And so they, they knew the scene. They weren't sort of walking in, you know, to to. Uh, to a bar in like a suit and tie or whatever, they, they would walk in as themselves, as a musician, and just be transparent, obviously, that they were also, you know, trying to place this gin. But um, it was that, it was that kind of coming together of knowing the atmosphere, knowing the client, and having that relationship through music to get that, get that sort of beverage placement. Uh, Bart, maybe you can get Lucas Nelson to do Dane Sellers. Sponsor his next concert tour. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a goal. Yeah, it's a goal. That's for sure. It's a goal. <laughs> well, Kathy, hey, can we switch gears? I kind of want to know um, about, uh, well, tell me about how your garden's doing. And I want to know how you think that relates uh, being out there in the garden and playing around with in the dirt, how you think that relates to being a better business owner? Okay, you're totally cheating. Did you see the article I just wrote about this? Of course. Yes. <laughs> you're totally cheating. I thought that was great. Well done. Well yeah. done on you. Way to do research. See, there you go. That's it. There you go. Well done. I, hey, I'm going through the same thing right now. I mean, I, I just put in the drip system for the last week. So I, I was right there with you. The drip system, like the irrigation thing, is it's an yeah. issue. It's yeah. an issue, right? I mean, um, yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a learning curve. At first, it was like it was like rocket science, and like, how am I going to do this? And then and then, as you did the first couple, 
then you sort of figured out how to make it easier and almost almost how to mass produce it. And I'm, next time what I'm going to do is, is um, reverse engineer. I'm going to do the drip line first and then plant where I have the drip lines. <laughs> it would be That's so good. much easier. I'm so sharing that, like around the, yeah. Well, yeah, and so putting, in, putting irrigation is directly resulted to your OCD. Like, you know, <laughs> what, what type of person are you? It really is. It's, yeah. it's always a problem though. I mean, and you know, how you handle it is, oh, how, is says a lot about it. So, but, but, it, but the gardening thing is, um, it's one of the, it's one of the silver linings of the quarantine is that March and April especially have been usually huge travel months for me uh, in the wine world. And to be at home during this time has just been beautiful actually to, hmm. to prune and to get plants in the ground and to, you know, talk about chickens and to actually build sort of, you know, the, the netting around the raised beds and, and that sort of thing. So, um, one of the one of the takeaways, Brian, as you know, is um, is finding your way around the garden um, and like walking the path that's most you, right? And so, kind of the the transition the transition to that um, to being a business person is the user experience, of course. Like, put yourself in the in the customer's shoes and walk through the process of how. Um, how they experience, you know, literally your, your quote unquote garden and how can, how can you make it better and more beautiful and more aromatic along the way? Yeah. Laying those stones, you know, I used to work for the four seasons hotels and they did something that I thought was brilliant when you were first hired as an employee, after you passed your probationary period, you would then do a, what they called a fam stay. So, they'd put you up in the hotel for a night and they told you, we want you to order room service. We want you to have breakfast in the morning. We want you to have dinner at night. And we want you to, to tell us about all of those experiences. And so you were, you would, you were sitting in the seat that the guests were sitting in. You, you were in the room that they were in, sitting in the tub, using the bathroom, ordering room service, having the same experiences. And it really gave you a, a different perspective than if they would have just given you a tour of the room where you're actually staying in the room. You're actually sitting at the table having dinner. You're right. actually ordering. It was great because it, it gave you this sort of this whole picture. Um, and, you know, a lot of people in restaurants, I, I feel like, don't do that. Where Go actually sit down at a table. And go pick a, pick a table, table 21, and go sit at one of the chairs and look around. And go, oh my God, there's cobwebs up in the curtains. Or there's, I can see a piece of gum. I can feel a piece of gum under the table. Or, you know, you're sort of putting yourself in the, in the customer or in the guest shoes, which sometimes people always have this one view of things. You know, you're sort of looking at it from one view. And I, it's sort of like that Robin Williams movie, what, Dead Poet Society. Stand up on your desk. I want everyone to get a, see a different view than they're used to normally seeing. And that, yeah, and that's exactly, I think, really important um, in terms of sort of this engagement, re-engagement that we were talking about before, is that now is like an unbelievable time to put yourself in the shoes or on the sofa or, you know, in the garden of, of, your, of your, your customer. Can I tell you guys a funny story, though, about gardening that didn't make the article? Yeah. <laughs> it's about chickens. So, get it, so I live in Atlanta, and... Um, 
I used to have chickens uh, when we lived in Massachusetts, but now uh, I want to get them again um, because, you know, it's part of the garden. So uh, there's, a, there's a local company uh, called like Chick Atlanta or something like this, and they sell everything you need for, uh, to have chickens, including the chickens themselves. But this has become so popular uh, sort of having chickens in your, in your backyard to raise them for eggs has become so popular that there's a waiting list to get chickens from Chick Atlanta. Well, and are they vetting people? Are they yeah. like? <laughs> yeah, they, they are because now, because there's such demand for it, they actually have now almost like a certification process. Like they really want the chickens to survive. And so yeah. they're like, you have to like watch this, watch this video or, or whatever it is. And it's um, another thing that I learned along the way is that within the city limits of Atlanta, you're allowed to have, I think it's five chickens, two turkeys, and one pot-bellied pig <laughs> in, your, in your backyard. And no roosters. No. No. Mm -mm. No. No, roosters are thumbs down. Mm -mm. Yeah, anyone that's ever been to Kauai, I think unless you live there and actually <laughs> You sort of, I, I don't know how you do it if, living there. I mean, it's 3, 3 30, 4 o'clock in the morning, but they've run wild. They just have sort of taken over the island. I'm even surprised with chickens. I don't know, residentially, like here in Roner Park or Sonoma, are you allowed to, to have chickens in your backyard? I think you, in, in Sonoma city limits and like, uh, you know, residential Sonoma County, you can have three. Um, and then if you're in rural residential, um you can have i think five is the number and then you have to be zoned either rural or agricultural to get a rooster huh so now kathy are you but, saying you didn't get any chickens not yet we're waiting we're waiting <laughs> you didn't, oh you didn't make the cut we didn't make the, the cut she's got we're a few more videos list. to watch we're on the waiting list so yeah you, we failed our chicken <laughs> exam <laughs> seriously you cannot adopt a chicken kathy all, all that Harvard here. situation does me no yeah. good. No, no good. <laughs> what sort of predators are there in your neighborhood for the chickens? Hawks. Na neighbors. Hawks. Hawks are a problem. Hawks, yeah. Hawks yeah. are amazing yeah. and glorious and beautiful, yeah. and they eat a lot of chickens. Yeah. <laughs> they really do. Yeah. Yeah. They really do. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, chickens, you know, you got to... You gotta leave them in the pen. We we used to, you know, part of biodynamic farming is that you have chickens roam in the vineyard. And so, when my dad made the switch to biodynamics at the estate, um, you know, they would let the chickens out every day to go out into the vineyard. And and you start having a numbers problem where like 14 chickens go out in the morning and 12 come back in the afternoon, and it just there's a, a an attrition level there with chickens in the wild that uh, they're not. They're, they're, chickens are wonderful animals, but they're not, um, they're not well defended. They don't have a lot of, you know, they can't fly, they're not that fast, um, they're an easy target and delicious, uh, I imagine, for, for some <laughs> and Bob, I think the, bob, the bobcat is what we get, we'll get the chickens at, at our place. Yeah, yeah, you know, at, at Benziger, when we first started the biodynamic program, the first thing Mike got was a cow, of course, and then it was all about chickens. And I mean, they were buying way more chickens than they were than they were surviving. And and Americans, they were buying way more chickens than the eggs that were being produced. I mean, it just I don't think they ever caught up. Yeah. 
So can I can I ask you guys something? So other than the chickens, um, what part of the quarantine, sort of the Corona era quarantine, uh, in the wine world that we're seeing now, the new developments, what part do you hope survives? What part do you think is going to survive? And what part do you hope survives? Oh, man. I mean, I, I think that this, and I, and I believe it will, I think the, the virtual tasting concept, um, I think that people are going to get better at, you know, the, the Instagram and Facebook live versions. But I think the ones that have the most promise are the Zoom or whatever sort of, you know, group video conference kind of meeting where people who who can't all get together for whatever reasons, and now it's because of, you know, shelter in place reasons, but whether it's, you know, travel is difficult or expensive or, you know, you all want to gather for an event, but you're in different parts of the country, but the, the, the social glue is the wine. I think that these, these are going to stay and these are going to get enhanced. And I also see a world where, um, you know, in a tasting room, people come to a tasting room and somebody who couldn't make it on the trip shows up on the, on an iPad and, you know, you plan advance and there's a bottle of wine at their house while they're hanging out and listening to records and, and learning about the wine too. So I think that those two things, um, you know, the, the expansion of just us in general as a wine are doing better in the digital world. Um, I, I don't think, can ever this genie? I don't think can ever be put back in the bottle, and I, you know, I, I certainly hope that it doesn't get put back in the bottle. Um, but I, I, I don't think you can ever replace actually being here, though. Um, you know, wine is so tied to place um, that you know being in the place that it's from is still pretty important. Yeah, and and I would agree with Sam completely on that. Um, I think that it will especially resonate for people. I mean, there are people that come to wine country every year. They come every year at harvest or they come every year in the winter when there's not as many people, you know, around. Um, but I think for those people, if they take a chance on this, they'll find the years that they can't do it, that they can still have a, a somewhat of an experience, you know? Um, so I hope that never goes away. Um, I hope that the connections that I've made with um, my customers um, doesn't ever go away and only gets better. Um, you know, I don't know that I would have really advanced some of those relationships unless I was kind of thrown into this the way it has been. Because it's, on one side, it's, it's taken away like certain responsibilities of things I have to do, which has given me more time to focus on the responsibilities to my customers um, that, you know, I'm, I'm more focused on. Bart, that's what I would say. I think one of the big takeaways that I'm going to have is um, having the ability to slow down for a yeah. certain amount of time and actually think about things. You know, working at the Girl in the Fig for almost 10 years, you feel like you're on a hamster wheel. And, and you know, it can get like that in a lot of restaurants where you're, it's always just go, go, go. But when you actually have time to stop and, and, and think about things that you're doing and why you're doing them and how you can improve them. And normally, you know, you say, well, I take a vacation, you know, you take a week or two a year, but I think you sort of do that to, 
to get away from work. I mean, you're, you sort of want to put all that stuff on the back burner. But this is when you're talking about an extended time. And, and for me, I enjoyed, you know, all the jobs that I have. I'm anxious to get back to those jobs, but it's given me time to sort of look at what I was doing and how you could do things better um, or in a different way. And, and just having that, that time um, to think about those things has been really nice. Yeah. John, what would you say? Well, <clears throat> I'm very happy to reestablish um, connections with everybody over Zoom. And uh, I have been down quite a bit since last fall uh, with a, just a major hip operation. And so I'm very happy that this is coming in right now because I wasn't making all of the shows at all. I was making rarely an appearance. So I'm very happy that this is uh, giving me an opportunity to kind of get back involved. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. I think, I think Mary, the thing, one of the things that I want to, that I hope kind of continues a little bit, you know, like, like you were saying, Brian, just having the time to, to sort of stop and think and to kind of take things in. Um, and John, you mentioned this at the beginning that I also contribute content to a balanced class, which is around uh, mindfulness when alcohol is at the center of, of our work. Um, the, the, the kinds of self-care that people have taken the time to do during this, during this crisis um, and that have been openly talking about it, I think is one of the things that I hope continues and that certainly the, the lessons can be, can be learned and applied moving forward. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Not, Some of the people that I see walking out in my neighborhood are not your typical, they're not wearing workout clothes and they don't look like they're, they're usually out doing a, doing a stroll, but it's, everyone is sort of adapted and, and um, it's neat to see people doing Zumba. I know Sandra started doing Tai Chi um, people have gotten onto these sort of it. things. It's, I know, isn't it great? And it's, I love and, it. and even if you only do it twice, but, and you know, maybe some only 10% of people continue to do it, but that's 10% of people that, that have found something new that's healthy and, and positive in their lives. It's, it's really cool. My, I, my, I, go ahead, Kathy. My writing desk uh, sits out onto the, onto the, the sidewalk. Uh, we live in the middle of Atlanta and uh, I can, I can, anecdotally say that one of the the biggest beneficiaries of shelter in place are the dogs. Like the dogs have been walked <laughs> more than ever before. There are more dogs out there than like ever before, ever. Yeah. All right, what well, you there's say? all these, all the memes going around about the, the cats are ready to end the, end the quarantine and send everybody back to work and get them out of the house. And the dogs <laughs> are like, we can keep doing this. I'm, right. I'm happy. <laughs> dogs are psyched. Dogs are stoked. Yeah. I think when this whole thing first started, you know, I, I get out on my bicycle, that's my exercise and I can do it by myself. And I was amazed when it first started, how many people were still out and about, like so many people walking. And, and, and I, I thought that maybe between that and people not going out to dinner as much and cooking more, that maybe there might be a, a new health standard or, you know, people would become healthier and, and maybe it would stick with them. And, but in the back of my mind, I thought, ah, a couple of weeks down the road, it's all going to go back to normal. And mm -hmm. I would say now there's probably more people out 
than ever um, getting out and walking to the point of yeah. there are certain areas in Sonoma, it's hard to say that um, we're, you know, practicing social distancing sometimes, you know, because um, there's so many people out. And I mean that certainly. There's another, yeah, there's another thing that I want to add to things that I hope don't go away. Um, and I was actually just watching out the my window um, people picking up the CSA boxes from one of our local organic uh, vegetable producers who usually supplies Chez Panisse in, in Berkeley, obviously not doing that right now. There's been, because everybody's cooking at home and because, you know, what's available at the supermarket and the supermarkets in general are sort of a stressful situation, people have discovered their local food supply chain in a way, at least around here, that um, seems to be, you know, beneficial for, for both sides of it. You know, finding the local meat providers who's, who, you know, has who has eggs, who's making, you know, raising chickens, um, the people who are, you know, selling vegetables normally to restaurants, but now can, can get it to, uh, you know, straight to, to the consumers. Um, you know, hopefully for, again, for the benefit of both, you know, both the, the ag side and the, the consumption side, hopefully those, those connections maintain when life returns to whatever normal will be. The supply chain component of that, I think, is really interesting, Sam. The uh, where supply chain means, you know, the soil to the plant, and the plant to the farmer, right. and the farmer to the consumer. Right. That's right. kind of those relationships. I think are being looked at harder and looked at more closely now. And for sure, that's something that I think uh, will well that I hope will continue and definitely ought yeah. to continue. I think you actually I wrote like about that. To the <clears throat> yeah, Kathy, you had something about uh, COVID's permanent impact on the food and wine business, and that was one of the ideas I, I believe from some students was uh, was about connecting um, the gardeners and and the people. Yeah, that was. Thanks for mentioning that, Brian. That was um, a couple. Well, in April, and this is one of the sort of the the annual trips I kind of orient around. Um, I go to Bologna, to Italy, to the business school there, and I teach a class to MBA students um, in the food and wine track. And the class is about narrative and storytelling and innovation in food and wine. So this year, of course, it was all virtual, but we still had the class and it was still sort of the benefits uh, were coming from it. But that was absolutely something that was top of mind for them, um, was, how, was how those relationships are becoming more important because if we're gonna be in the same place, we want to take care of the people who are in the same place who are, who are giving us food. And that, um, that relationship and that transparency just doesn't have to be there um, regularly. But when it is here during the shelter in place, you know, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. And I love that idea of, of you basically as, as a consumer saying, okay, I've purchased this little plot of land right here. And you come to me and say, okay, what is it you like to eat? What can we possibly grow for you? And you almost get to have your own garden, but, it's, but you have other people that know what they're doing, that know how to put in irrigation systems, actually, <laughs> actually growing those things for you. You know, Bart, I remember it was funny when I, when I worked at Benziger, where we had the, um, the the boxes up there. And at first in the garden, they had allowed the employees to put in um, everything, you know, basically things that they wanted to plant. 
and being a largely Latino community at, at one point when I was working there, we had 47 different types of peppers growing up there in those boxes. <laughs> and they were all terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not Wait, good for the hueros. <laughs> yeah. was it, wasn't this the place that had sort of the, the guacamole challenge? Did that happen when you were there? The guacamole challenge, yeah. boy. Yeah. I don't remember that, Bart. Do you remember that? I don't. And maybe it's an urban legend. It sounds like something the Benzigers would have cooked up. Yeah, I mean, you, know what? you can probably, guacamole it, and tequila go well together. Right, that's what I was going to say. That sounds like a tequila base at the Jack London Lodge story. Yes. Um, yeah, for sure. I think I saw that happen one day. Yeah. You know, uh, Brian, we have been sitting here, and you have a background that we can see and it's these giant bottles of rosé behind you they look like they're all about three feet in diameter <laughs> where did you get this and what are these bottles what's in your cellar brian you know that is that is a picture i took when i was working at the girl in the fig and at one point i've always been into rosé but at one point i think i was a little oh i was really into rosé and remember we were doing a rosé flight <laughs> at the girl in the fig so i think it was five different rosés by the glass because I wanted to have one. I wanted to have a Carignan, a Sanso, a Grenache, a Syrah, and a Movedra rosé. You have to have all of them. So it had a flight going. So this is a picture I took of, this is just one section. I'm sure this went on for another <laughs> 10 feet of rosé. I, I miss working at a place where you can actually stock that much rosé. So Kathy, what do you think about all of this with the effect of all the rosé parties across the United States? And, and the rosé market in general for, uh, you know, Sam, any thoughts about that? Has it slowed down? <laughs> I don't have the feeling that rosé has slowed down at all. I mean, I don't know. When I, when I have like, part, like virtual tastings or parties or check-ins with friends or whatever, there's a rosé like every single time. Okay. At least one. Just at least one. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been putting rosé into kegs. We put rosé into kegs last year. And... You know, I have kegs on order and I'm planning on putting rosé into kegs for, you know, in this bottling upcoming, you know, beginning of the month, beginning of May. And, you know, now, you know we sold them to, we mostly we used them in the tasting house and, and sold them to some on-premise places. One person last year said, you know, I have a kegerator at home. Can I just buy a keg of rosé? Uh, you know, it's, it's like a three-gallon keg. It's not a ton of wine, but it's kind of a lot of rosé. Um, and I think that, so, so John, those, those giant bottles behind Brian's head are basically the size of a keg of rosé. And I think that, um, you know, people are going to sit poolside in, you know, what, are the restaurants going to be reopened? Who knows? But I, I think that, you know, you go to your neighbor's house in July and, uh, hopefully he's somebody who's, who's, you know, run a, run a line, you know, better at, uh, his keg line than his irrigation and, uh, has some okay, but, know, okay, cold, cold rosé on, on poolside, on tap and poolside, you know? You, you know? you know what the obvious question, though, is, is what's the playlist for the rosé in the keg at the poolside? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we have to know this. You have to get it out there. I, you know, it's content, it's gonna be, I'm, 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 I'm not going to lie, you know, it probably, like, hurts my hipster cred. I think it's got to be pretty light and poppy. You know, it's got to be, no, no. Some, you know, it, it's got to be, it's got to be something that, that's background, uh, you know, just kind of like past the time. What do you, I don't know. What do you think, Brian? What, oh. if you were, you know, I, I, 
I'm okay with a little bubble gum uh, with the poolside rosé. Yeah, really uh, cold. I'm Sam, okay with that. I'm thinking throwback. I'm thinking Biggie and Tupac uh, getting thrown <laughs> in the mix, <laughs> hanging out at the pool. Right. I, uh, that is probably the pool party that I'd want to go to also. All but. eyes <laughs> on me. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam, yeah, lucky, you, you could probably. Luckily, you have a rosé that is just getting better every day. Thank God. Right. That, the Audi Tech rosé, I mean, you know, we we wanted to make rosé that that uh, had age-worthiness. We didn't know how well we'd have, an, you know, how good of an opportunity we'd have to age You're going to right test now. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think that there is going to be a lot of people, though, to be honest, who, um, you know, planned on a, crushing out a lot of rosé at, at parties and events and weddings and, and banquets and stuff like that, that, uh, I think there's going to become September uh, a lot of uh, 2019 rosés sitting in in warehouses all over uh, all over the country. Yeah, and, well, I did, and I didn't really mean with the small wineries because I think the small wineries are doing what we're doing and working with our audiences. I'm thinking about the the monster brands, you know, um, and when they're the tens of thousands of cases of rosés. Um, yeah, and there's also Bart. Then the uh, the question around the tariffs and you know getting those getting those rosés through and you know right. what was, what's going to well, happen have on we that. Completely forgot about the tariffs with all of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, are they still on? Is that still happening? Honestly, I don't know. Are they? <laughs> well, nobody's buying. It. Well, Kathy, you're the only one who would know. Are the tariffs still on? Is anything going on with it's China other than virus? It still is actually um, under under discussion, and it's going. The question's going to come up again. Actually, uh, I I forget exactly. I think may, it might be in in May when the question comes up again in front of Congress. Hmm. I mean, that is the thing that we have to remember, right? That uh, despite the fact that all we think about and talk about is this this virus and this pandemic and what it means to you know our our businesses and our lives and again whether you know your kid is logged in at the right time to their distance learning class um all of regular life keeps on going uh you know there's still there's still wine to be bottled and racking to do there's still vineyards that are growing and um you know the, i guess congress also has the rest of their jobs to do right and and um <laughs> I think a lot of things are probably news-wise, um, you know, things that should be should be garnering our attention are, are uh, falling to the wayside as we, you know, sort of focus so intently on this one thing, right? Yeah. Sam, a big point. What's it looking like outside? How are the fields? What's going on in the vineyards? Yeah, you know, um, three, you know, two months ago when all of this was you know, kind of starting up at the end of February and it hadn't rained for, for 30 some odd days around here. And the weather was, you know, we had some getting close to 80 degrees, sunny days in February. We were really worried about a, a very early spring and there was some bud break already. And then, um, you know, the month of January was for the most part, pretty cold. I mean, of, uh, of March was uh, pretty cold and wet here. So things kind of slowed way back and, and we're, and in a lot of places, tracking a week or two behind, um, you know, where we were the last few years. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, we're we're in a pretty good place in the vineyards that we're, you know, 
We still have some frost concerns, but we're not looking at super early bloom and things that could could make. Um, oh, there you go, Brian. You got what are those grapes? Um, you know, <laughs> could, not too worried about um, you know getting things getting things done. We've bought a little time as far as vineyard work goes right now. So, um, you know, we're we're mowing and and cultivating and. Um, you know, starting to sucker a little bit, you know, sort of knock off the places that are, that are growing on the vine that we don't want to grow. Um, but again, it's, there's, there's sometimes in the, in, there's some springs where everything happens really fast and, and, and you just feel like you're playing catch up every day. Um, you know, seems like in the last month or so, things have kind of slowed a little bit around here and, and, and we're all able to, catch your breath a little bit, you know, maintain good social distance in the vineyards and, and, um, you know, kind of get a, get ahead, which isn't usually how we feel, um, in, in April around here in the vineyards. So it's, it's, it's been okay out there. Things are looking good. Um, you know, that March rain really helped. So. Yeah. And, you know, John, tomorrow we'll get a good opportunity to talk to, um, Anne Charlotte and in the Chateau Neuf. She's going to be on Zoom with us as well as uh, Dusty Neighbor or Dusty Nabor, as I like to call him, uh, in Paso Robles, and then Marcus Bokish in Lodi. And so we'll get to see kind of what's going on in different parts of the world and, and um, how the vineyards are doing and uh, besides what's going on here in Sonoma. Yeah, Lodi should be exploding right now. Yeah. It should be very pretty down there. Yeah. Well, we got a nice well, week coming up. Yeah. It, feel, it feels like spring around here. I mean, that's, that's you know, a little bit of, yeah, there you go. Look wow, out there. look green, at this view, Bart. Those, those foggy days kept, you know, kept things good and, good and moist in the soil. And, and now this week, it's going to start growing fast this week with, you know, hitting, hitting the upper 80s. And, you know, and then, but then we're, you know, we have people out here listening who it's like still snowing in Chicago and Wisconsin and stuff. So, um, people, I, I did a virtual tasting with some people in Ontario, Canada, and there, <laughs> I felt kind of bad. I was out, out in the backyard with a t-shirt on, and they were, you know, you could see in the background out the windows of their living room that it was like windy and snowy, and <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I, you know, that's why we live here. Sam, by the way, that's another opportunity for you to just create more, more of, more of the playlist, like. If you're in Ontario in April and there's snow on the ground, this is what you should listen to, you know, as opposed right. to, you know, Sonoma or Atlanta in April and drinking your wine. This is what you should listen to. I'm just saying. Hyper local. Yeah. Hyper local playlist. I, I dig it. I definitely think you'd be, uh, you know, want something warmer in Ontario than you would, uh, than you would in, you know, Florida right now. Just yeah. put it out there. You yeah. guys for your. You're on mute, Bart. You've got a, your next virtual wine tasting is coming up. So we, what we've been doing, Kathy, is uh, we've been doing the um, shipping out the wines, two from Bart and two from um, Sam, and then including um, food pairings from the girl in the fig that Sandra um, has put together. But you guys should also do a uh, music pairing. So it'll be a, a song that goes well with that particular wine that you're shipping out. Yes. All right. I think that'd be cool. I'm in. That'd All be right. really I'm in. Totally. And, and if yeah, it's, actually, if it's a 2017 vintage, you can't do fire on the mountain. That's no fair. Oh, <laughs> oh come on. One. I, that's, that's too easy. 
<laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> it's getting hot in here. Um, oh, a little melody, yeah. maybe. <laughs> That's a good rosé song there. Yeah, so, Kathy, this is a. Yeah, go ahead, John. Kathy, how is Atlanta these days? I haven't been there for a while. Last time I was there was hanging with Gary Busey at the Buckhead Tavern. Seriously, not kidding. Okay. But, but uh, well, let me pick up Buckhead, that name you just dropped, John. Yeah. I, I think. <laughs> I think things. I think things have changed um, a little bit recently. More recently, um, there's a lot to be said for Southern hospitality, and Atlanta does it really well. So, of course, what's going on right now is um, is devastating to just tremendous numbers of of people. Um, however, the the weather is gorgeous. We have never had sort of a shelter in place order, so we have been able to. I mean, we've all been voluntarily self isolating so much as we can. Um, we've been going out, we can go out for walks, um, and go to the supermarket, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's been really nice. The weather has been gorgeous, um, except for, you know, the tornado two weeks ago, but minor <laughs> so, point there was, there was that, but for the most part, it's been, um, it's been pretty amazing. I mean, oh, isn't, um, the governor of Georgia, um, trying to get the state opened up here real soon? Alleged, allegedly on Friday. How, um, how, I mean, without, since you're not a politician or on TV, I mean, what do you get the sense from your friends and neighbors that are there? Are they all saying, well, that's fine, but we're staying in, or are they anxious to get back at it? Um, too soon. Yeah. Too soon. Um, you know, even though we could, we could go out, uh, it's, I don't know that everybody will, or, or those who, who don't have to, will, I think, continue to stay home. Yeah. There's just so much uncertainty. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much that, that we don't know. And also in Atlanta, by the way, is the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. Right. And right. so we have kind of hyper, we're sort of hyper aware of the information coming from there. And it's just, um, just because sort of, as you said, the politicians want, want things open. And certainly the business people have mixed feelings right. about it um, doesn't mean that we're just going to sort of blindly assume that it's okay now, right? Has have any of you talked to anyone who's had the virus? I have an uncle in Belgium who um, who has the virus, uh, but who actually was put into a coma um, because he couldn't. He's an older man and he couldn't get enough enough air in his lungs, um, so to continue breathing, to continue sort of respirating. So, so we've been sort of impacted as a family in that way. I spoke with uh, a friend's wife last night in Chicago. He's uh, 82 um, and an ex-client of mine, president of Nabisco, Peter Rogers. And he's still rehabbing seven weeks now that he's had the virus and spent more than two weeks in a coma. Uh, you know, drug-induced coma because you've got tubes down your throat and up your nose. It's horrible. And so despite the fact that uh, they both said they thought they were going to die, they have survived. But it was a horrible, horrible two-month process. It's not something you want to get. Yeah, I not think, John, it's, it's, it's a small percentage of people when you talk about total population that have 
that have actually been hospitalized and or put on respirators. But I think a lot more people have gotten it than has been reported just because of the lack of testing. So, you know, I know there's, I know a lot of people, including members of my own family that believe that they've had this, but it was even in, in December and January before it even was um, front and center on the news. Well, and well that's, that's just the thing, right? Is it, it doesn't matter, you know, what, uh, governors or mayors or, or even presidents say about whether or not we should open our businesses, there isn't going to be people wanting to get on planes, get into taxis or Ubers, go to restaurants and tasting rooms until there's the testing level that makes everybody feel like they can do those things safely and, and without endangering themselves or others. Uh, you know, Nobody's nobody's showing up to tourist destinations until you know the people who you know we're not we don't want anybody to come until we know that people who are coming are aren't going to you know damage and you know make us sick and and likewise you don't want to go somewhere and you know sit at a table at a restaurant get your hair cut um, you know get a massage isn't that one of the things that they're, they're opening massage you know allowing for massage in in, in Georgia. If you, you know, if you don't, if you, if you can't have certainty, there is no, there is no certainty uh, in an economy. You, know, you can't have uncertainty in an economy. It's not going to work, um, and especially when it comes to the service economy and and the tourism economy. You know, those things rely on people feeling good and confident that they can go and and have a good time and and you know with some degree of safety. I don't, we don't have that right now because there's no testing. Yeah, but Sam, there's people that are living in in Reading and Auburn and Chico, and they, I think that was a big portion of the people that gathered in Sacramento yesterday that were saying, you know, why are why are we not allowed to to work and run our businesses where we don't have anyone in our community that has been infected in any way? So it's it's you know I, I get well, it. It's I mean, one of the hard. interesting things that I saw at the very beginning of all of this was that basically if it's successful it'll all seem like a giant overreaction, right? right? That if, if in, you know, a month it's like, well, how come nobody's sick? Where are all these cases? It's because this stuff is working, right? I mean, it's, it's this very nebulous situation, but, you know, with the, a shelter in place, the only way that, it, you know, it's, a, it's the absence of, of evidence that shows that it's, that it's working. By, you know, there's 185 cases confirmed in Sonoma County that that's a, a tiny number compared to a lot of these places, but it's because we locked down hard and early and, um, you know, have, have made it spread so slowly that it seems like we did it for nothing more. It's because it feels like that. It's because we did something, right? I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the idea. Anyway. Yeah. Just look at New York city though, Sam. Wow. Right. Well, I, you know, um, God bless California. So grateful we, that we, did. we don't have, they don't have that kind of population density, too, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's why I was asking Kathy about it. Atlanta. It's such a different city than here, yet it's not the biggest. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely not the biggest, but also also spread out. And it's also known for having uh, sort of this uh, this canopy, kind of the, the tree canopy that, that is kind of notorious for Atlanta in, in a good way. The kudzu? Um, <laughs> God. I don't think so. Do you know Brian, what I'm talking no. about? No, yeah. you know what I'm talking about along the freeways in Atlanta. 
when you're driving, that kudzu just takes over the trees and it makes everything look like it's all sort of trimmed <laughs> by uh, trimmed by professional <laughs> landscapers. Well, that I think invasive it's cool. plant, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, so. What just what I was saying was that it's a it's it's a nice place to to walk around, and there's lots of um, kind of urban renewal projects that allow for that, like the bike path uh, called the Beltline around the city. Um, it's accessible to just you know most of the population, which is which is really nice. So they've been you know very uh, proactive about. Uh, enforcing social distancing on the Beltline um, as people go mm -hmm. and, and sort of bike and walk um, along, along or, or run, um, but it's still it's it's an option um, that you know that we have available to us. So that's so that's good. Yeah. All right, guys, you want to get any um, any hellos, any shout outs to anyone out there? Well, shout out to Brian who clearly like out out researched circles around the rest of us with this one uh, knowing all these articles that Kat has put out recently. Good job, Brian. We props props for making us look good, man. <laughs> she she's pretty prolific. I mean, it's almost embarrassing I when when you look into what she does because you, you think, what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> well thank you, Brian. I mean you 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 know that you know as somebody who's being asked questions whether the person asking you the question is ready to ask you the question or not and i i say this as a, as a writer and when i when i know i'm prepared and the difference between when i'm not, clearly not so i appreciate it so thank you you bet and anyone that wants to get in touch with you or get a copy of your book or any of those things what's the best way to go about that yeah i'm super easily found on social media on twitter um instagram facebook uh, obviously on, on the website, analytics.com as well, um, and through Forbes or, or Inc, as you know. Uh, so just a, just a Google is, the hardest part is getting my last name spelled right. If yeah, you can do for sure. that, you're yeah, a winner. You win. That. <laughs> you win. <laughs> and, and you're going to be, I mean, normally you're traveling, traveling, I think, a lot right now. So this is, it's a good time to, to get a hold of you if, if anyone wants to do so. Um, totally. Good timing, yeah. Totally. Right, and I, I just want to put it out there as well that um, the, I, I really am expecting to hear about the Spotify playlist. And, you know, that's just, that's going to be a given, right? Like you heard it here first sort of thing, right? Uh, um, well, the, the virtual Model Sunday playlist is out. There's about 130 some odd songs. I keep adding more, uh, but I'll send that to you. And I'm going to work on- 130 songs? No, no. Is that, it's not enough. That's not enough, or is that too many? <laughs> That's an Never afternoon. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm thinking that I I'm want more. Have, I need input. I'm thinking I'm going to have to do my own for you know the seller the seller music we listen to during the different decades, you know. Oh, identify with. Oh. That. There you go. Yeah, how how different the music was in the eighties at Kenwood well, and in the it, late two thousands and in last yeah, in, in in, in 1986, like, I listened to a lot of Jimmy Buffett at that time in my life. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so did everybody. That was great. <laughs> so wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool, Bart, if we were talking about earlier the analytics light thing and segmenting by age and gender and geography? Wouldn't it be cool to know who, like, was kind of act, like, the certain number, the certain people who are this old right. receiving the 80s playlist? Right, right. right? 
in their in their in their shipment or in in an email that they get from you. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. That's just like a hands-on application, right yeah, there. I, man. I I wrote it down. It's in my notebook from today. <laughs> so more to contemplate. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Uh, any listeners, if you want to check out some of our past episodes, you can uh, go to the radiomisfits.com and check us out there. And uh, always, as always, we always like to give a shout out to some of our local friends. Uh, Todd Jolly at Sonoma's Best Bart, I know you were there yesterday picking up wine. And um, yeah. and I know Sandra at The Girl in the Fig is now doing meals out of the Fig Cafe. I got um, I saw on Instagram today Jordan Kiebelstad getting together meals for Thursday to do some deliveries for people. So um, um, people out there doing Sweet social stuff. over in, in your Petaluma. Uh, doing some really good takeout and, and selling bottles of wine with it. Um, also, we should probably shout out our virtual uh, tasting that's coming out the day that this is coming out, our, our, our second virtual tasting. We're going to do a third one, right, Bart? I'm sure we are. So I just have to keep find an eye out for send. Yeah, Bart's yeah, running out of wine. Make some more wine, man. <laughs> Which is great. No, that's great. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. We do appreciate it. You guys, this was a pleasure. It always is. And, you know, to have all of you at the same time was really, was really cool. So And I can't wait till the next time we get together and we actually get to be in the same room and share a glass of wine. Where's the wine? Where's right? the wine? Where's the yeah. wine? Where's the Cheers. wine? Yeah. Where, are those, where are those tacos? <laughs> <laughs> Duck tacos. Thanks, all you guys. Right, I guys. really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Cheers. Kathy. Thank you. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, guys.